Holly Whitaker. And I am Laura McCowan. And this is Home Podcast. Good morning, sunshine. Ah, good morning. It's so funny because we do this every time. We sat in bed and we texted for 20, 30 minutes before this call. Um, right. So now like when I'm always <laughs> trying to get some things done because we're going to be recording for like two hours or something and we talk about every, it's like, Everything it's so we're going to talk about. I told you about my Louis C.K. dream and the poop. <laughs> Can we talk about Louis C.K. though? Cause that never gets old. I think it's funny cause I don't really think of him at all. And then last night I had a dream about him, um, because you are going to see him and you, and mm-hmm. I said, what you were like, and we're going to get married and whatever. And I said, um, <laughs> just ask him to come on the show. Like, I don't give a shit. Just the, the point is if you do talk to him, <laughs> um, so I had a dream about him and, um, and I, and I was so excited because we were, it was like, we were recording. Like I saw the time I saw it written in the notebook, the time that he and I scheduled to record. And I brought him on as a surprise. I was like, uh, Laura thinks it's just she and I that are recording and I'm going to bring Louis C.K. That would be the worst surprise ever. Yeah. You weren't happy about it. You were, I was like, where's your thunder from this? Why don't you feel excited? Um, why don't you love me so much? <laughs> right. You weren't happy. Um, it would turn out to be a mess. So, um, and, yeah, and I'm- time when Lannister was involved. <laughs> and- <laughs> That's so amazing. Um, Dreams have been kicking lately. Right. Wow. I know. Well, I, mm-hmm. I am just trying to notice them and remember them because you and I did that little dream exercise that you learned from Meadow. <laughs> oh, sorry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it's, I don't know if it's because I, because of that either. I mean, I've always had really, really, really vivid dreams. But the past last one, I had a major anger dream. Anger. Yeah. Yeah. Just it's one of it's 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 like I just couldn't sometimes wish there was a night off. It's like, come on. What do you mean? I like my psychology all day during the day. Like, (laughs) just give me a like fun you know, La La Land dream. Um, actually, you um, there is a Kundalini meditation that helps kind of get you to dreamless sleep. Um, I found mm. anyway. Uh, Do you like Kundalini yoga? Shut the fuck up. <laughs> That's one of the things that you're texting me about. I'm like, this is officially a waste of time. <laughs> <laughs> I love Kundalini yoga, Laura. Um. Sorry. Anyway, um, how are you? I'm good. I'm. Uh, it feels like I've been awake for three days already. I left Maine early this morning because my daughter didn't want to drive back last night, and that was fine with me because we were watching the Super Bowl. Not that I cared, but it was like, you know, it's fun to watch. I like watching. So I woke up at four this morning to drive back. So I feel like it's been couple days already. Um, but otherwise I'm good. I have very busy week coming work. I realized we're going to see see you in New York. Yeah. I'm excited. 
Anyway, so but no, we get to see each other in New we're York. We're going to hang out in New York this week. We're staying together for Valentine's Day, which is just perfect and appropriate. Um, yeah. Um, I'm excited about that. And I know it's coming up. It's like this Saturday. Um, can I tell you like that I went and saw Bill Maher um, record live yeah. the other night? I meant to ask you. Yeah, it was awesome. My friend Carla's on uh, a soap opera and uh, Bold and the Beautiful. And so I, it was cool. Like I went and I've never done anything like this. We went to and, – and also this is the same week that I saw the Manny um, filming in You're front like of my building. Totally an L.A. person. <laughs> what do they call L.A. residents? I don't know. I have no idea. A Los Angelian? I don't know. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I still don't like feel like I still feel like I'm on the outside looking in. Um, but I saw the Manny recording in front of my apartment, which is crazy. Um, and then I and so then Carla invited me to go and, and she's like, I mean, this is her life. She goes to the set every day, you know. And so but I like pull up and I'm on the guest list at security and then I drive onto the lot and we walk in and it's like there and I'm walking down one of those hallways with the pictures of the celebrities and or like of the TV shows, you know, like there were the blue bloods yeah. and yeah. Um, what did and you wear? Overalls. Um, oh, yes. It was it was late at night. I wore overalls and a see through pink top, my red converse and my bomb ass, you know, leopard coat. Um, no, I look great. I looked good. Mm-hmm. I can dress overalls up and down, my love. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. And so then, um, then we walked onto her set and saw, I like saw the set. It's so weird. It's so small. The stuff is so small. And then we went and um, yeah. saw the taping of it and it was at the Price is Right where they taped the Price is Right. <laughs> oh my God. Which is surprisingly so tiny. Um, it's a very small. Really? Yeah. Yes, very small. Um, but I, this is, anyways, it was cool. Uh, it was really fun. I've never done anything like that. It was really fun. And I have a slight crush on Bill Maher. I've never really? ever been able to stand him ever. Like I can't, I've n- I watched like an eight minute clip of his show once and I was yeah, like, no, no, um, no, no, I don't know what it is. I have like a slight crush on him. Um, and then I've seen his face like, ev- like, and then there's billboards everywhere from now. And I'm just like, First. I know. Anyway, um, yeah, so I have a crush on my arm. I know. And he's like, what, 70? I don't know. Um, but yeah, it was really fun. I, um, I felt like I was just like freaking out about it and I was taking all these pictures and I was like, am I embarrassing you? (laughs) She's like, no. (laughs) And then we get into the studio and she's like, you got to stop taking pictures. You can't take pictures in here. Um, but it was, yeah, it was cool. That's funny. That's awesome. I love it. <clears throat> yeah, I know. I know you texted me that you were doing something on Friday. I was like, look at you. You're doing, doing things. things. Like, doing like people things. do. <laughs> doing things. <laughs> um, yeah. So, and I'm, and, and overall, like I'm doing really good. I spent last week really working out, you know, where I fall in this new climate. And I, so I got so many, I talked to a lot of like people. Wait, that are, what do you mean? What does that even mean? Well, I'm I just. Like, I don't know. You and I have talked about this at length. Like, it's – there's so much happening right now and there's this call to rise up and and, mm-hmm. and be political, yeah. right? And, mm-hmm. um, and you know, Glennon is very, has gotten very political. And, um, and there's almost this feeling of I'm not doing enough. Uh, not, not almost. There's a feeling of I'm not doing enough and the split right. between, you know, um, 
Like the other day, here's a really great example. Steve was in town. My friend Steve Schlaffen's in town, and he's one of my collaborators. Um, he's he's in the sobriety scene. He makes he's doing stuff, and yeah. he's one of my advisors too. And so I was supposed to hang out with him all day. He was in L.A. We had plans, and then there was a protest at the airport. And so I'm sitting there, and I was like, I got to go to this protest, man. And <laughs> and and then and I at midnight finally pulled my ass out of my head and was like, No, I, my job is, and this is my job. This is my this is right. the, this is my work. Um, right, right. And so it's a matter of being aware, but not being, but not drowning in, in all that's going on. It's a matter of not sticking my head in the sand. And it's also a matter of standing in the work that I'm doing and realizing that that is enough and that that is mm-hmm. important. And mm-hmm. I, you know, and so it's just been like, for me, it's really been a, like, and I've, and I've been battling this since the summer, since I really, am. since like, um, since Black Lives Matter, um, this has been like a pull between, you know, where do, where do I fall? And, you know, do I, cause I have a, I have a platform and I have a microphone and I think, um, mm-hmm. for me, it's really just staying true to helping, helping the people that I like, I'm doing the work that was put in me, right? Like doing the work that was right. put in me and That's the right. work that was put in me is what I'm doing. And, um, and, and not feeling guilty about it. And I got like, and the best part of this, I, I was honest about it. And I put this out in the world. I posted something on Instagram. I posted, I went in, you know, I, I have a lot of Facebook groups from my school. So, you yeah. know, like, like 600 people from that. And I just posted like, here's how I'm feeling. Um, this is what's happening. And, and I just got really lovely responses, um, from, and, and also it was really nice I mean, not nice, but it was really like important to kind of go back into that space and listen to the pain and to see where, where like the importance of our contribution is, which is, you know, those that are still struggling and, um, and also read the stories of those that have like, you know, made changes. And, um, so it's just, I'm doing so good right now. I spent like the last week just really working, you know, on myself and, and realizing that I wasn't going to make it very far if I was going at the pace I was going and reading every news story and, and every tweet. And, and it's, and my mom and my sister are very active in this very. And so, same with my like part of my family is too. It's and so it's balancing that, right? It's like how much do you feel like you need to keep up? How much are you really interested? How much are you just how much is are you just sucking in? Yeah. Right. Uh, well, I told my sister to stop sending me stuff. I said, I just yeah. need, I need like, even I, I just can't see it all this week. I just like it's starting to just not allow I'm start I'm starting to be unable to do what I'm with the thing that I actually can do and so yeah and I, I recommitted to my kundalini practice and I just you know I've I've just have spent the last week really um I did a lot of like sweet things for my soul and and I feel so good and I re- like the biggest part the thing that's come from it is just really seeing how much I need to feel this way um and I can feel this way even when this other stuff is happening that I can actually feel yeah good and spirited and, and, and love and, um, and happy and delighted and joyful, um, at the same mm-hmm. time that I'm horrified and saddened. And, yeah. um, and that's a big, that's a really hard leap. Um, because I think we, we often think we have to be one or the other. Um, so. Oh, totally. No, no, it's a huge, it's a huge leap. It's a huge, it's, and I think everybody who is at least somewhat present is dealing with that right now. Right. 
Anybody that's woke, that's right. And our people in recovery, especially, like, I have to, like, keep on saying this. Like, if you are in early recovery, your only job is recovery. Like, that is it. It is not, like, I've seen a lot of people post, like, I want to and this is happening. And it's, like, you can't, like, you have to invest in yourself first. Like, you really do. Otherwise, there's nothing to give. Um, Yeah. It's like that Jason. uh, Jason. Jesus. Jason. That, um, I know. I Jesus. I don't even know any Jasons. Jason. No, not Jesus. Joseph Campbell quote where he's like, you know, you can't save the world, but you can save yourself. And in saving yourself, you save the world type thing. You know? Well, I think it's interesting that you say Joseph Campbell. Why? <laughs> because that's what we're talking about today. Um, I know. Look at that. I've been thinking about – it's funny because not – we always run in themes, right? Um, I've been listening, I've been going back into a lot of Joseph Campbell stuff. I've been doing, I've been really getting into Richard Rohr and like all his content, a lot of things that are around what we're talking about, this sort of hero's journey and, um, this path of human, you know, human existence, spirituality, whatever you want to call it, that we, that everybody goes through. Um, Well... I mean, or, not, a, not everybody. Well, that people have been going through since the beginning of time is yes. what I mean. Like yeah. it's it's um it's a universal theme and thing that you know is talked about in every spiritual text from the beginning of time. Yeah, yeah. Um, can you can we stop really quick? Um, I do want to take a second before we go into this and make a couple of announcements. One, oh um, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're listening to this, please take a moment right now, pause it, and go and rate us on iTunes. This helps us more than you can even begin to imagine. Um, mm-hmm. Just giving us, you don't have to leave a comment. Just it takes a few seconds to go into iTunes. Just on, I think you can only do it on your desktop. I'm not sure, but but giving us a rating, um, it helps us tremendously. We're in, we're actively seeking sponsors at this point. Um, we've we've made it by the skin of our teeth. Um, and, and a lot of times, you know, out of, for a long time out of our own pockets. And so this helps us to actually keep putting these podcasts out. The second is, um, we still need to funds to keep this running. Um, we, we pay people to help us grow this and do this right. And so, um, if you are so inclined, um, small donations help us. If you go to home podcast, um, dot org, uh, there's a place where you can donate, uh, or you can also give by purchasing, um, from our store. We have socks and tote bags and shirts, and we're in the middle of, um, upgrading that so that our, we have a little bit better quality, um, fresher stuff. Fresher stuff. Yeah, we, I actually saw the socks in the wild. Oh, I have the some. other, I don't, I don't, I haven't, I have everything else. I don't have the socks, but I love I, them. The, someone had them on the retreat. They were great. They are great. I love them. Um, all right. So, um, do you want to, okay. So that's that. And then do you want to announce the two workshops? Yes. So we have, uh, we're doing two, um, workshops called never not broken. Well, actually we're uh, doing like seven of them, but the, we have two. We're doing booked. seven, but we have two of ava- two available to register for. They will be our first two. We're doing on the East coast. We're doing New York on March 25th in the evening. And, uh, at Sky Teen Yoga, that will be up actually for registration now when this goes live. I got the link today. Oh, good. Um, 
And then we uh, also are doing March 26th, the next day, uh, it just, which is a Sunday uh, at South Boston Yoga. And both are available right now. I am so excited about those. That's awesome. I am, I am really excited about it. That's why I'm coming to New York so we can plan that. That's right. Um, okay, cool. So before we start, can I nerd out about one thing that I just want to of tell people about? You because can. I love it so much. Okay. Um, so I I love music, as you know, as we both do. I um, spent a bunch of time this weekend digging into like just playing with music um, and listening to new people and stuff. You probably won't like this guy. You might. I don't know. You know how much I love Ryan Adams. I made you listen to him a bunch when you were here the first time. Yeah. Um, I think so, because uh, he sounds so familiar to Brian Adams, I just write the whole thing off. You just can't. Yeah. <laughs> when in reality, he's like one of the most famous, not famous. He's one of the most talented songwriters that are like around. Oh, that is so subjective. Anyways, please keep going. Don't be a dick about my music for five minutes. I'm not being a dick. Not. I'm not yes, being a dick. You just said, you just said, when my choice, my taste In is that I don't world. like him. And you say he's one of the most. Fine. So is Adele. Anyways. In music circles, he would be regarded as one of the best songwriters of our okay, generation. Fine. Okay. So there's that. So anyway, Jason I- Isbell, I... um had been listening to him. One of my friends got me to listen to him. And as I knew he was as him as country and kind of all new country artists. I'm like, even though I grew up listening to country and I like old country a lot, but this guy, I started listening to him and I was like, Jesus Christ, this guy is good. Really, really, really good. And, and he reminds me of Ryan Adams. Um, so I started, did some digging around and his lyrics are just like, that's what got me. So I was listening to him all weekend in Maine. And then I learned um, through digging a little deeper that he is sober. And a lot of the songs that he writes in his like album that really made him are about sobriety, um, which is so cool. I love learning about like artists um, that I admire that are sober. I, I do just too. love it every single I time. It and makes there's me- so many of them. There's so many, like so many, all the good ones, all the great ones, um, not all of them, a lot of the great ones, a lot of the great writers, um, a lot of great actors, they're sober. Um, yeah. So it gave me this extra added like love for him. So I started digging even further and um, he's just, he's really, really good. Jason Isbell, there's a song called Cover Me Up. Everybody needs to go to listen to it right now. It makes my heart just like scream. Um so, yeah, I wanted to just say that because, you know, like good music, there's nothing more yeah. fun than sharing shit like that. And I know. You listen know, to them all the way home from Maine. I, I love your tasty music, by the way. Just because I don't agree I with some of your pop choices doesn't mean that I'm a dick about your music. I, I listen to everything you send me and I love I, your taste. We like taste. each other's music. Yes. Yes. Uh, I, I respect your I respect your taste in music deeply. I there's the other just some artists I, don't like. I have to say. I know, I know. There's you don't like any of the pop stuff that I like, well, but uh, the 
the, and I don't like someone's stuff you like, it's fair, but I respect yours too. The cool thing, and I love when this happens, I love it. It's like a click in my brain that makes me so happy. So I go and learn about Jason Isbell and he is good friends with Ryan Adams, who's been a major influence in, on him. So I was like, yes, I knew that association <laughs> and they're both sober. And I learned that at Ryan Adams shows, you can now not purchase alcohol. Isn't that interesting? Really? Yeah. Wait, I'm so sorry. That- Wait, what do you mean? You can now not, you can't purchase, there's no alcohol at his shows? You can't bring alcohol into the area. Like you can have it outside, but you can't bring it in. Oh, that's awesome. Well, it's like when I went and saw Prince and he didn't let anybody smoke pot. Mm. Um, that's funny, but you, you could drink, like, what did he say? You can't smoke pot. How do you even regulate that? Well, he didn't drink or smoke. Um, uh, he just asked for it. He just asked, like there was there was obviously alcohol. It was a really small show. It was not long before he died. It was like a thousand. I think they limited tickets to about a thousand people. Um, and it was a very small show at the. Um, oh my god, I'm forgetting my concert venues in San Francisco. Um, mm-hmm. Oh my god, the Fillmore. The fuck anyway. Uh, Fillmore and um, and he just asked and and it was and usually in the Fillmore it's like a you know in San Francisco it was like usually like a cloud you know like just and there <laughs> yeah. and it was nice because it was one of the few times that um, I went to a concert sober and didn't get you know secondhand high um, right right okay interesting so, I didn't know that okay so so although ironically he died from drug overdose um okay so. Today we're talking about the hero's journey, and we talked. We started talking about this because of the story I talked about last week when I was talking about the uh, the encounter I had with the man where I left and then was driving back into Los Angeles. Like this was the this was the catalyst um, um, for it, right? Because I was I was explaining to you. Do you ever have those moments? Is what I was what I was saying is, do you ever have those moments? where you are outside of yourself because you were in, you were in pain. You were going through something and you couldn't see outside of yourself. And I meant like outside of yourself, like you were like a bird, not like outside (laughs) of your own shit. Not can you see past your own shit, but like almost like a bird watching yourself go through this fantastical adventure. Mm -hmm. Right. And that was what I was experiencing when I left that man's house after that just crazy encounter and then went and got the water and then drove and was listening to beautiful music and then watched the LA skyline, you know, appear. Mm-hmm. And I just knew I was on this, I know I'm on this path. I know I'm being held. I know this is part of this, a story. This is part of my, my journey, my adventure. Um, and it, I smiled, right? Like despite having gone through that, it was just this yeah. like knowing this moment of registering this is part of it. This is the story. Yep. This is the epic. And so we were talking about that and I said it would be great for us to do like hero's journey. Um, I said heroin journey and then you said no because people might <laughs> think. We're talking about heroin. <laughs> right. Um, but it was, yeah, it was really um, – yeah, and so we decided that we were going to do a show just talking about this, like how really like our, you know, our, our our whole lives, but really since we started turning towards like, you know, the, the name of the podcast is Home and we call it Home because we believe this is like people that listen to this, that are attracted to this and, and addiction is really this like entry point into the path back home. So we're talking right. about the hero's journey as a like as an odyssey, right? Like as a path back home that is a long, windy, adventurous um, uh, epic with all these really crazy tales and 
today we're talking about uh, four or five times that we knew we were on the path, that it registered very similar to when I was driving home and I was like smiling at the ridiculousness of it. And Mm -hmm. did I explain that well? Okay. That was perfect. Okay. Perfect. Okay. So you go first. When was the first time that you had this like recognition that you were like, what's the story of the first time you had this recognition that you were on this hero's journey on this like path? Um, so we decided we were going to focus it on really leading up to sobriety and after like, you know, our, our path, our, our path specific to those things. But I had one that I wanted to share cause it really is related. Um, so around 2012, um, actually I know exactly when it was, it was like May of 2012 when my husband and I, we really had like, we had just, we knew, we knew it was over. Um, and I, we hadn't had the final ceiling conversation, but we had, it, it was coming and we knew it. Um, and we had kind of put it out there that, you know, we just, you just know, you know. So I went for a run, um, around my neighborhood uh, around the ocean where I, where I still run. I take pictures of where I run even to this day. And I, it was, you know, May day. And it was, I just remember feeling like truly I was outside of myself. I was watching myself go on this run, right? Something I do all the time. Um, But I was, I had like this out of body sensation. It was like a mixture of fear, but also big courage, like really big courage that I hadn't felt before. And I knew, I remember winding this loop there's, so I run on the ocean and go to this other town. It's right on the water. And there's this really long hill where you kind of ascend, ascend up, um, slowly. And I remember going up, up, up the hill and just like watching my feet as I was running. And I had this moment where I knew it was a, it was over and B it was like this tidal wave of relief, um, that I knew there was this, like this bigger story was happening. I did not know that it was going to be okay. And none of that was there. It wasn't like a I didn't have the smiling moment like you did, you know, but I had this perception that I had never, that I couldn't have, I couldn't have before. It just wasn't available to me. And I knew that it was over and I knew that this was, um, this is going to sound so whatever I get, I get feedback from this all the time from people saying you try to spiritualize this really shitty experience, but whatever it is, what it is to me. I knew that it was what I, what was supposed to happen. I knew it was what exactly what was supposed to happen and that I wasn't this horrific person causing all this pain, that it was our journey, that this was, this was our path. This is what was happening, you know? And I, by the end of that run, right when I got home, actually, I got in the shower and I got out and, and I said to him, 
like we had that conversation and I said, it's over, you know, it's, I don't remember the exact words, but we had that conversation where we kind of both jumped off the cliff. And from then on, everything was different. We started, you know, he started making plans to move out. He moved out like two months later. And, um, there were a lot of moments like that, of course, like when you're, when, when a relationship is falling apart, when a marriage is falling apart, there's a, a very long undoing, or at least there was in our case, um, a long, painful, wretched sort of undoing. But there's this moment that came on that run where I ha- I was standing outside of myself and I knew it was like, I guess the, the reason it felt different was because I knew I was doing something um, I don't want to say good because it's oversimplifying. It's like that, that, that it was right. It was the right thing that was supposed to happen versus just this clusterfuck of shit and pain that had been going on for years. You know, Yeah. I knew that, that we were, we were okay and we were going to be taken care of. I didn't know how long it would take. I didn't know if it was what okay looked like. I didn't know any of that, but I had this moment. It was just being held Um, and I had the courage that I hadn't had until, you know, until that very moment to like say the words. Yeah. 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 I don't think that was spiritualizing it or spiritual bypassing it at all. Do you, you really do? No, I get, I don't No, I, I don't think it is. I just, as I'm saying it, I'm like checking myself because it's not spiritual bypassing. I get, let's be honest, I get feedback from men. Um, and it's not a lot, but here and there saying, you know, um, disagreeing with the way I talk about things or whatever, because I'm taking what, what was a shitty situation and just saying I had to do it because I was, it was spiritual. It's like the, the feedback that Elizabeth Gilbert got for E Pray Love, like, oh, good for you. You get to go on the spiritual path and call it that when really you're just being selfish, you know, mm. that kind of type of shit. Wow. Mm-hmm. Mm. I'm okay with it. I don't think that's, I know that's not the truth about it. Um, I just want to use my words, you know, as carefully as possible because it's not, I want to convey what it, what it is, you know, what it really was to me. Um, people are going to think whatever they want anyway. That's fine. right. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's my first. It was, it was, um, it was wild, man, because I was really hung over that day. I was in a lot of pain. I, and I don't know, I know for you, it's the same when I was hung over and when I was drinking, I really had very little access to God. I couldn't feel any of that stuff. I know. I couldn't feel it. And I felt it so clearly in that moment when I shouldn't have, you know, it shouldn't have been available to me, but it, but it was, I know it was. Um. Yeah. Uh, and that, you know, and that, that has everything to do with, a, yeah, I was going to say it doesn't everything. not have anything to do with sobriety. It has everything to do with it. No, uh, that was the beginning of kind of the end of my yeah. drinking. It really was. That was the last. <laughs> it's funny. Speaking of Jason Isbell, he, he had this quote where he wrote in an article that, you know, people have this idea that, you know, or that the end of a drinking is a lot like a divorce, you know, or when you first quit, like he said, specifically going to rehab is a lot like a divorce. You think it's so bad, but it really pales in comparison to the, the couple of years leading up to the, <laughs> up to it. 
<laughs> that uh, was a really dark shit. Um, what's yours? What's your first one? I'm so curious. Oh, it's one that I've told before. And I can't, I was like, oh, it's so annoying because I've talked about this so much. But um, I can't not, I can't not because I think it's probably the first time. I mean, you know, we, you and I talked, we were sitting here and we were pu- pulling this together, what what our five were and our four were. And we were, you were going back. And I was like, I don't remember anything until I really started, until, until sobriety. And so for me, it's the first day, right? It's that... It's that mm-hmm. moment in October in 2012 when I woke up and I had, you know, and I, I woke up to the same thing, right, to the same crime scene and the same hell and then did my, and I'm not going to go through that part, but but I woke up and I, I, I couldn't do it again, right? Like, I mean, yeah. let me tell this not in the way where I'm apologizing for repeating the same thing. Let me actually tell it as it is. Yeah, just tell it as it is because, I mean, even if people have heard it, this is the thing that you need to hear all the time. That's right. That's right. So I woke up. This is October 2nd or 3rd. Um, It's uh, it's 2012. I've been on a bender. I've been in my apartment. I've been binging and purging food. I've been drinking. Um, I've been, I smoked, you know, like um, I would smoke um, bowls and split of tobacco mixed with pot. Um, and then I would dump the bowl or put the roach out on my <laughs> nightstand. Um, and so I had no sheets on my bed. I had like bags and bags of trash from um, mm-hmm. takeout food from binging and purging. And so um, like TV is on. I've been working throughout this. It's like why I love uh, Lisa Smith's book because she talks yeah. about how she would go home and have these like weekends where she'd lock herself up. And, and this is what this was. Um, and, um, so it's Tuesday. I have like a call to lead. I wake up, I'm, you know, I'm I'm still drunk. Um, there's like whiskey, there's a whiskey bottle like in my hand. Um, there is, um, you know, and, and a lot of mornings on like that, I would drink it, right. If there was something left. Um, and I just couldn't do it anymore. It was so disgusting. It's, it was so disgusting. And so I, this is like where I, and my apartment is just like my, my floor is sticky with beer and, you know, like just it's and, yeah. and ash and, um, like there's ash on the floor and tr- and garbage on the floor. And like I go and I crawl on the floor and I can't do it anymore. Right. Like I, I have never ever like, um, done this like surrendered it. Right. And I fall prostrate on the floor and I just say, I can't do it anymore. And I start screaming and crying and just like, Mm -hmm. like asking for help. Please help me. Can't do this. Please God help me. I can't do this. Um, Mm -hmm. and then I cry and then I do what I know how to do, which is, I start to clean the mess up, right? And I go and I yeah. grab, I gather like a couple garbage bags and I put my, you know, loafers on and I go to Starbucks <laughs> and like I am in this habit of waking up like this and then yeah. just pulling it together as quickly as I can. And I go to Starbucks, I take the trash out and I go to Starbucks and I get my bacon gouda sandwich and I get my coffee. And then I walk back in into my apartment and, um, this guy from my work that had recently been fired about a month before that I'd worked with for years, um, that lived in Berkeley, um, 
is standing in my lobby and I'm so disoriented. I'm still like, I'm so like toxic. I can't see straight or think straight. And it's like that where you're, you know, that feeling where you're like, it's like the the world is like, like you're moving through jello and you're like spinning still kind of, and it's hard to focus and pin things down. That's how it feels. Yeah. It's like, um, like your brain is a colander. I always just felt like I couldn't even hold a single oh thought. I couldn't God. even hold a I couldn't even hold a sensation for very long. No. It's just like this it's like um oh god, yes. Spinning and what I know really- now about the brain, I understand why. But it's just so I'm sitting there and I walk in and Chuck, my building manager, um who's one of my angels is talking to this guy mm-hmm. and I just couldn't even comprehend it because I was so disoriented and I was like what the fuck are you doing here? And he was like I live here. Um and so this random guy is in my apartment building and I'm just sitting there and he's like just a second let's go on a walk and so he finishes talking to Chuck and I'm just standing there and I was like how is this happening how is he here and how is he here and then um and then he and I go on a walk and we haven't talked since he's been let go and he starts telling me about how sorry he is for not um finishing some of the projects he was working on and one of the projects he was working on was for a a physician and he's like I and I'm going to babysit for this physician the next night and I go and um, he's like can you make sure and tell this physician I'm sorry and um, that that's the thing I regret and so I'm babysitting two nights later and and the first thing I do is I go home and I'm like I email my like my dude Jeff and this guy this other the doctor and I was like you will never guess what just happened uh, like this guy lives in my building and I just whatever and so two nights later, I'm on my way to go babysit for this doctor that this guy who lives in my building is like, you've got to tell him this. And he and I normally, I'm, I take Bart and he, and go to his apartment and meet him separately. He and I in San Francisco end up on the same train, like standing next to each other, which is so unlikely, which is so unlikely. unlikely. We're coming, yeah. we're not coming from the same place either. We're coming from different places or in downtown. I'm working at headquarters. He's working at Embarcadero Center. And so we get on, we get on the BART and we have this extra moment to actually talk that we normally wouldn't have. And I start just whatever, shooting the shit with him. And then I tell him that I ran in like the story of what the guy said. And, and I say, and he wanted me to make sure and tell you that he's sorry. And, um, and then he starts saying something about, what he like about this guy's mental faculties and he says something about borderline personality disorder and and I like and I'm wrong he doesn't say borderline personality disorder he says something the male version of it and I'm sitting there and I'm like what is it and then when he says borderline personality disorder I know that I have it like I know that it registers so deep within me, like like right. like an, like you just know. And when he and so we go back to his home, he goes out for the evening with his wife. I put the kids to bed, um, and then I start reading about borderline yeah. personality disorder. And that was when I take this when and, and I take a you know a, an an intake, and it says that I have it, <laughs> and that I need to stop drinking <sighs> immediately. And this is when I buy the easy way to control alcohol. And then two weeks later, I stop drinking. And so this is like, it, it's just one of those things, um, where a couple of like maybe a month later, I'm out at a bar I'm with a friend and I'm trying to tell her this. 
I'm like trying to explain the story to her of how this happened. And I was like, don't you see into her? She does not see. It's just like a coincidence. And she's like, yeah, yeah, right. yeah. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Like this, it happened. Like it was, it was so, it was not even 30 minutes after I asked for help. It was not even 30 minutes after I said, please help me. And then right. This chain of events gets triggered that leads me to this place where I can actually start to look at my drinking. And so I anyway, so for me, that is like this thing that I would say is like the like the people that like when as I'm going through my stories, like the thing that I think strikes me the most is the people that are dropped Along the way, people I like don't talk to anymore. People I saw for just a second, like the the people and the events, like but the people. Um, yeah, and it's just literally dropped too. It's like, it's like um, you don't. I mean, you know, you can't like sit in your bathroom or something. But honestly, because I haven't, didn't you think so many times, or don't you don't you even think sometimes today, like how is this going to happen? I'm just living my life. How <laughs> you know how are circumstances going to come into to, to fruition that will allow how am I gonna to meet Bill Maher right exactly uh-huh. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> or how am I gonna find Louis, Louis C.K. Okay, right yeah I love no, that we both like have crushes on like older <laughs> old balding <laughs> oh okay sorry um no but exactly but you but no but you wonder and, and not even that like how do I how do I like make this um career move work how do I yeah. um how do I make this trip how do I work stop drinking how, how do, do I, I stop do- drinking right yeah. um how do I leave my marriage how do I yeah mm-hmm. it's yeah and it's it's so and I talk you know Meadow Meadow talks about this a lot too because she has like what she's one of those people that literally has the most bizarre obvious like signs over the top of her head that come all the time mm-hmm. you know like <laughs> that are so it's like I I don't even you know your signs are so obvious I can't even stand it but <laughs> any it's it's like strange things stranger things have happened I always think of of it this way um Wayne Dyer has this quote um and it's not his I think it's Deepak Chopra's but he he talks about you know it's like stranger than you can think. It's, you can't, we like the construct of our mind is so limited. And I always like that comes up over and over and over and over again in this type of story, because you're trying with your thinking, with your human thinking, to think your way out of something that is not solved by your human thinking. And also it's something beyond the stretches of your imagination. Now I said something to you recently, the guy that I was like, I've been, you know, more or less like in love with for the last couple of years, he's in a relationship now. And he like, and I, and I told you how, like, and I could see it for him. And I was, you know, as happy for him as I could be. And I said, how is it that I like can see this for him? Like he's with the girl that I exactly would see him with. How is it that I can see this for him? This greatness for him, but I can't see it for me. And you said. Oh, I don't even remember. Really? 
<laughs> yeah, I don't remember. I know, I know, I know what I because you haven't met. had it yet because word. you can, because it's beyond because you've never had it because it's beyond what you yeah, can imagine right, for yourself. Right, right, right. Yes, it's it's like beyond what you can't imagine sobriety because you have you've not never had it for it. yourself. That's right. And so, right. and when you said that, I was like, oh, right. I can't see this for myself because I've never experienced it. And so it takes so many leaps of faith to see this stuff. Um, and then in retrospect, when you look back at it, you're like, holy fucking mother balls. Like this is crazy how this went down. Mother balls right. is going to be the alternate title to this. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> I love that. Sorry. Holy fucking mother balls. I just love the alternate title the last week's is this thing on. All right. It's my favorite. No. Okay. You go now. What's your second one? So I'm going to go in like chronological order. Um, so pretty shortly after that, well, it was a year, a year after a blurry, blurry year. But I was still living in the same place where I had lived with my husband. Um, it was a house that was much too big for me. I was drinking. It was really, really, really dark that whole year. It got bad. Um, and I've written about this before, um, but I don't think we've ever talked about it. I had a I, I, the night before, right? This is before. Um, anything had really come in, like nothing bad, nothing, I shouldn't say that, nothing epically bad had happened yet. It, this was before, you know, the real outward stuff, right? I, I was dying, but <clears throat> it was before anything super bad had happened. I still had this, you know, idea that uh, the drinking was not it. Um, I stayed in one Friday night. It was like one of those sort of non, non, you know, eventful nights. Um, and I remember laying on my bed. I had this beautiful room that overlooked the ocean. I didn't have my daughter that night. It was a Friday and I was alone. And, you know, I didn't, I, I always had this idea that drinking was going to give me some kind, it, because it had, it had been like my connection to people and to fun things and to stuff happening. But there was really no one around anymore at that point. Like I had, you know, our relationship was over. People had sort of fled. My drinking was icky. I didn't have a lot of people around me. And, you know, as a new mom, it's like I lived in the suburbs then. I wasn't in the city. But I remember drinking that night and just thinking, and I, and I, it was so out of habit, you know, I came home and I drank my shitty wine that was cold red wine out of the fridge. And I just kept filling it up and filling it up and filling it up till I felt okay. And I don't even know that I got drunk that night. Um, I just remember laying there and thinking it was so, it was just kind of an empty feeling, you know, I had nothing, nowhere to be, no, nothing to do. I I don't know. It was, it was a deadness. And that next morning I woke up and I was, it, you know, again, like you were saying, I, I'd woken up like that a million times. I wasn't even hung over. I was just, it was just my normal state of how I woke in the morning. And I went down and got coffee and I was walking up with my coffee and it was like, you said, you get this, you get so used to piecing yourself back together in the morning and so quickly 
that it's like you start to have the coffee and you start to try to get good thoughts going in your head and try to think about things you could do that day. But for me, there was, it just, that slope was so much more slippery. It was so much harder. Like I used to be able to get up and run or I would be motivated to do things. And it was this beautiful day. And I, I, there was like a flatness and a deadness in me. It was getting harder and harder and harder to do that. And I made coffee. I went upstairs and I sort of walked around the side of my bed in front of this big window overlooking the ocean. And I stopped in my tracks at that moment. I like stopped so hard to the point that I spilled coffee on my feet. And I had this thought that came to me. I didn't think it, it came to me. And it was like the drinking, it's the drinking. If it's the drinking, that was the thought. Like, but it was almost, it was almost like before, like pre-consciousness that I had this thought that it was like, what if this is the thing that you have to do to be okay? What if this is the thing that's keeping you from everything else? You know, and just as quickly as I had it, I kind of drew back from it um, and pushed it away. But I couldn't not, I knew it was like a knowing. I could not have that thought anymore. I, I, um, I even remember like looking at my, I had like post-it notes that I always write things, um, on and I'm, Oh no, this is what happened the night before I had written in my notes section on my iPhone. What would you do with all the space that you fill with empty things if you didn't fill them up anymore? And I still have that saved. I didn't even know what I was talking about, but the next morning that message got delivered to me and it was something I'd never really thought about that clearly before, you know, or it had come to me that clearly. I pushed it away. Um, and that night, that night I went out and I got a DUI. It was like one of the worst nights of my life. Um, but you know, that was, it was, Again, it's like these moments that come to you that where you just have this knowing and, you know, I didn't feel like I was on some hero's journey, that's for sure. But I knew, I did know that it was that big. That's, that's the hero journey part of it. I knew that it was that big at that moment before I got the DUI, before I left my daughter in a hotel room, before all the other things that came after that, you know, I knew that it was that big. Yeah. 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 You still, what's the date on that? The note. So it was May, it was, the, it was Labor Day weekend, or I mean Memorial Day weekend. So May 20 something, you know, it was last Saturday night. What year? 2012? 2013. 2013. No, 2012. Oh my yeah. God. So it was no, 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 no. I'm sorry. It was 2013. It was exactly a year after we had that. I had that conversation with my ex mm -hmm. because right after I got the DUI that summer was the, the horrible wedding incident. Mm -hmm. Like everything really exploded fast. Um, yeah. yeah. So yeah, that was May, 2013. That was, ah. and then, you know, that July was when I really had to start trying. Yeah. It was almost like, um, it's so funny. Cause if I look at it in hindsight, it was almost like a warning, you know, 
I know. Like, it was like a girl. I mean, and then I, I, I pushed so hard against it that I went out that night and got a DUI. I, I mean, it's, it's crazy. It's not. A lot it's of, not crazy. That's, <laughs> that's how it goes. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually not crazy. <sighs> What's your second? Um, I think like the first time I went to Italy, I want to talk a little bit about that because I think that was one of the most like eye-opening experiences that I'd ever had. And I, I went to Sicily with, with my friend and, and his family and um, we stayed in Terramina, which is this like, it's probably one of the nicer parts. It's more expensive part of Sicily. And, um, and I was, they were going on to France um, and I was, gonna go to Italy by myself for like 10 days and uh, go through the mainland. And I honestly didn't have a plan like at, at all. I got there and I was just like, I mean, that's kind of me. <laughs> just, just, um, hey. <laughs> just gonna show up to this foreign country <laughs> and I'll find a place to stay. Um, <laughs> And so I spent time with them and and just kind of took their suggestions on what I might do and where I might go. And I decided, I mean, Rome was like, it wasn't even in my, in my sights. And um, so Jeff and I like kind of drive all around Sicily this one day and then he takes me to Catania and I stay in this really sketchy. I mean, this t- like looking back on it, it's not sketchy. I mean, it's Sicily, um, but in my mind, I had not traveled very much, right? And I had never right. been to Italy, and it was sketchy to me. I was terrified, yeah. and um, I stay in this room in this. T- I mean, it, it was like in the back of a business office. It was a hotel room in the back of the business a business office, um, and so I like go in, and I the next day I'm going by myself. I by the way, like so wild. I had this, I, my, my backpack can fit at least like two people in it. So I have this huge cumbersome backpack. Um, and I don't, and I, all I know is I have to like, and I, I don't speak the language and all I know have to, is I have to get on like the train and the train is exactly across the street from me the next day. And, um, so this whole thing, and, and I know I'm going to Sorrento and I know when I get to Sorrento and meeting this man named Antonino, he's going to pick me up at the train station in Sorrento, but I have to go from where I'm at. I have to go on this old, old train from Sicily, cross the Mediterranean, go to the mainland, take this train up. It's like an eight hour train line or train ride. Um, and then go through, um, the Garibaldi like uh, train station in Napoli, which is which is a dangerous place, which is like got the most highest incidence of pickpocketing um, with this huge backpack. Make it through that train station to the Circumvesuviana, which is this like small commuter train that runs from Napoli to the coast uh, to the, the Naples coast. And so I um, I'm so fucking terrified I just can't even explain how terrified I am of this whole thing, right? Like I can't even. And so I'm on it and like I the I'm not I have to pee, but I'm not leaving where I'm standing because I'm just think I'm going to get robbed. Um and I'm just like I'm I'm in this small car with this family that is I don't even know what language they speak. <laughs> and then I finally like something happens and towards the end of this train ride, I'm like about to die from having to pee and I um 
I go and I sit in like one of the main cars and, and it's a blurry story. It's like, it's a long time ago, but I just remember I meet this couple and they, they speak English and they start talking to me and they're going to, um, to, they're going to where, where I'm going. And so <laughs> I start talking to them and I'm not telling them that I'm terrified of where I'm going or what I'm going to have to go through to no. get there. I'm just, just <laughs> chatting with them and we get off the train and um, like the whole, like I can't begin to tell you how paralyzed I am by the whole thought of what I have to do. And we get off the train and they ask me um, if I might help them with their bags. And so I am like walking with them and I'm helping them with their bags. And we go and we find the Cirque Vesuviana together. And then we get to the Cirque Vesuviana and then we, um, and then we pay and then they help me find the right commuter train. Right. And then we get on this thing and we find ourselves and we get comfortable. And then they get off right at the one stop before I get off. They get off at the, at the stop before I do. And then I get off at the next stop and I arrive in Sorrento and I walk out and then there's this man there that picked me up. His name is Antonino. Um, and then Antonino is a sweet old man and he drives me to his like small family resort. Um, and then I spend like the next three days with this family and they drive me around everywhere and they feed me and they talk to me and they help me with my Italian. And then they don't let me take the train back. They don't, they don't want me to take the train. They put me on a bus and they ship me to Rome. And then I get on this, on this bus to Rome and I'm sitting next to a woman that speaks English and then she tells me when we get to Rome that she doesn't want me taking the train she wants me to take take a ride with her son and then they want to drop me off where I'm going and so and then not only that so then I arrive where I'm going and I stay at this home with this man and like and then after that I stay with this woman who's a Buddhist and and so like the whole the like the whole point of this is like when I look back on that and it was terrifying I mean it was so terrifying to be a woman out there alone in the world even though it's Italy like it's still that there's nothing about it that's not scary um Especially when you haven't done it before, especially when you're carrying, you know, like half of your apartment on your back. And there is yeah. just this like sweetness of like being passed yeah. from one person to the next person to the next mm-hmm. person to the next person. And that is, you know, like the magic of like that first trip. There's so many reasons why that trip was magical. But like the thing that stands out the most when I go back and I'm like, how could that even have been orchestrated? Like how... Could that in, like how does that even work out? You couldn't plan it any better. You couldn't plan it. No, no. and I didn't plan it. That's the thing. I had absolutely zero plans. But you it's just this. Just like, you had you just had this. And well, how did you decide to go? What? Wh- how did you decide to go to Italy? Because Jeff was going, and I, I'd always, I, I had wanted to be like a vintner when I was. I mean, can you imagine? Um, I had wanted no. to. I'd read all about Italian wines for years, and I, you know, Italy was like my, like I don't know. I had a a soul calling to Italy. I read Agni and the Ecstasy when I was really young. I just always knew I wanted yeah. to go to Italy, yeah. Um, yeah. but I didn't know. I thought like I kept on when I got to Rome. I was like looking for the Leaning Tower of Pisa. You know, I was a fucking idiot. I was like the Colosseum <laughs> is here. Um, <laughs> OMG. <laughs> um, but it was, yeah, but I, it was just funny because I was with a, when I was staying with Jeff, his whole family had traveled to, his brother-in-law and his sister had traveled uh, to to Italy 
you know, 20, 30 times his brother yeah. lived in, in Italy. And so, um, so yeah, so it just like, it was, it was like a total mistake. But once I, once I like started to understand the history in Sicily, I knew I was like, I've got to go to Rome. Like I knew I had to go to where it started. And, um, but anyway, but yeah, but the, no, it, but that, I mean, I asked because it's like, we have these, these ideas or these sort of, you know, polls or, you know, uh, impulses that we think are random or stupid or we oftentimes ignore and they're just so not, you know, they're not mm-hmm. like, and we don't know why it's never worked that the reason I thought I was doing something is really the reason why. Right. But, but to follow those things, to really follow those things. Right. Um, and we forget to like kids do that. Kids completely do that. We don't do that when we get older, we no. do the logical thing. Mm-hmm. We do what we think we should. And that's like the second time that I went, I, when I, after I'd quit my job, I thought I was going to go to Peru. I really, not for ayahuasca, for, um, for Machu Picchu. And I thought that's yeah. what all women who quit their jobs to go on and become <laughs> like spiritual teachers do. They go to Machu Picchu. Right. But I like had this longing to go to Rome and it was so funny because I was like, I should go to Machu Picchu. But then like I... Um, was like I was walking and I dropped my sunglasses. I was in this random neighborhood and I picked them up and I dropped them right underneath the street Rome. I look up and the street mm-hmm. sign, like the street is Rome. And then I'm like walking past the like thread, the um, the linen store and the linen mm-hmm. store has a sign and it says dreaming of Italy. All of our Italian, <laughs> all of our Italian sheet sets are so you're on basically sale. like meadow. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and then I get it. No, it's true. I mean, but it was just like, you don't, because you get so stuck in the should, oftentimes you're like, well, like you don't even see that. Yeah, I know. I know. And then I I had a, like to even get me to go to Rome, I had to have a, like a session with my coach. And like, Mm -hmm. and the funny thing is, as I'm doing that, I'm like wearing my socks that say, I heart Italy. And like my Rome books are right in front of me. And I like, and all these signs had kind of like come together and we're like, you need to go there. So, but it's, it's true. Like we don't like oftentimes we don't really like see it because we do. We get caught up so so caught up in the linear and the should. Um and yep. we don't see it. And like the beauty of that, the card I pulled for so long in my tarot deck when I first started this path was the fool. Right. And like the fool is mm. just this like idiot that goes out into the world and like just like what you know, without like without looking ahead and then somehow is carried through it. And like that whole trip, I was just like, it was so perfect because I was a complete and total fool. Like I just went out there yeah. without a plan and just like yep. let the ground support me and kind of rise up to meet me as mm. I went. And it worked out. I mean, it changed my life, you know, and every possible imaginable way so okay what's your third i love that um i wrote down the so this is a a pretty quick one actually i um actually i'm deciding if i want to switch one or the other um no i'll do this i'll do this one i thought of okay so this one's actually pretty quick um but it was just so, so clear to me. So I wrote down, um, in my notes here, big red chair. So I, I started, so just to, to do the chronology here, we, I talked about, you know, the, the May, 2012 moment. I talked about the May, 2013 moment. And then I really, um, struggled to put together 
I started trying to get sober in September or no, in, in July of 2013. And I didn't, it didn't stick for me. I couldn't stay sober. I didn't stay sober until September of 2014. So a full year plus later. And in that time, um, it's actually not going to be quick. I'm not going to make, try to make it quick. So in that time I, you know, I, I drink, you know, I would put together a week or two at the most, um, which were all really helpful, but I, I didn't stay sober. And I remember this was after I met you and I had been, um, I had been planning. So every social thing that came across my radar was like this epic, you know, internal battle of, should I go? Should I not go? If I go, should I drink? If, you know, and it would last for like however long I knew until the event came. I mean, sometimes it would last weeks. Um, but there was a silly happy hour coming up for someone who was leaving my office and, um, I got invited and it was like, you know, so these things happen all the time. It was, I don't know. I, I think it's just because I was so sensitized to, <laughs> I'd been trying so hard to like stay away, but also I was very compartmentalized about who knew that I was drinking, who didn't. And most of my work people really didn't know. So I wrestled with this whole thing. Should I go? Should I not go? I, you know, right up until I left it open to myself right up until the day of, it was like a Friday, I went out for a run and I remember, um, running and just having this like screaming battle in my head, screaming, like voices screaming in my head. And I stopped <laughs> during my run and I like screamed up at the sky because it was so exhausting to do that. And, and I knew what I should do. I just was so, I couldn't, you know, it was, I was still, um, battling against the reality of it. I didn't want it. I screamed like into the air, like an insane person came home from my run and I decided I was going to go. So I got ready, you know, I'm all adrenaline fueled this whole time. I got ready and I went towards the still not really having a plan. Am I going to drink or am I not going to drink? I mean, I kind of know in the back of my mind, I'm going to drink, but it's like, um, I tried to pretend like I wasn't going to or something, but on the way to the train, I get a bottle of wine at the liquor store, like zombie style, like pull in and get the bottle of wine. And I like know what I'm doing, but I can't stop myself from doing it in a way. And I, um, got on the train. I had this, I park, you know, my car, I got on the train. I had this shitty old Starbucks coffee cup that I dumped out and, um, carry it with me on the train. I'd gotten like screw top wine because I could like drink it on the train ride. Yeah. Um, and I sat there, right. I sit, it's like five o'clock. I'm going into the city. No one's on the train going in at that time. So it's pretty empty and the sun's like coming through. Um, and I'm sitting in the seat all alone and I put my knees up, you know, against the seat in front of me, like we did when we were kids in the elementary school bus. And I, I have the bottle sitting between my legs, not open. And I'm just sitting there and watching like the sun's like coming across my eyes, you know, as the train sort of goes past trees and stuff, it's like flashing across my eyes. And 
I remember just sitting there thinking like, my brain was screaming at this point, right? Like I'm, I, the circuitry is just like fucking going nuts. Like you like just do the thing, just drink already. But something stopped me. I don't know what it was. It wasn't that I didn't want to. It was like, I had this moment where I, te- I texted you mm-hmm. and I was like, I was like, okay, I don't want to do this. I don't even want to ask. I don't want to text anyone because I don't want someone stopping me, but I texted right. you and I was like, this is what's happening. I want to drink. I'm on the train. I have a bottle of wine between my legs. I'm freaking out. And you were right. You were there. Um, and you sent me this meditation, like do this 10 minute meditation. It will like stop your brain. And I was so pissed. I was like, fucking fuck you. Fucking meditation. (laughs) Fuck all of this that's happening. You know, um, um, I was mad at you for answering. I was just like, what's happening? But I did it. I did it. And it gave me just a slight crack of space, the tiniest crack of space. Really, it just, I, I think it helped, but I also think it just bought time until I got to the city because it's like a, it's a short train ride. It bought me time till I got into the city. And so what am I going to get off the train? I just have this big, this bottle of wine that I'm holding now. Like you can't walk around like that, you know? Yeah. So I get, but I, but I realized like, oh my God, I could, I could stop. I could not do it. I could catch myself. I could, I could not do it right now. And I got off the train and I ran, like literally ran with this bottle in my hand and this shitty coffee cup. And I like chucked it in the trash before I could think about it. And I walked into the station long enough to look at what the schedule was going back to the city, back to my home. And there was a train leaving right that second. Okay. Another thing, like there, if the train wouldn't have been leaving right then, there's a bar in that station that I sat at a million times. I would have just said, fuck it and gone. But it had, I like, the conductors were like, come, you know, it's happening right now. So I had to run and get on the train. And I got on that train and I remember just like literally feeling my body chemistry change. Like when you've just escaped, it's like when you, when you almost just got hit by a car Yeah, is what it felt like when you almost just had an accident. Yeah. Um, and I was, I rode home like that, just kind of in this shock state. It's like days of feeling how, how thin, how thin that space is between doing it and not doing it for me. And how all these little things like I had to do some, I had to put the first act out there. Like I had to text you, but then, then things would fall into place to help me, you know, to help me if I really wanted this thing, if I really wanted to do it, or even if I didn't want it, I just had to want it a tiny bit more. And, um, it's sort of like that first morning for you. I don't know what made me do it. I had been in a situation like that a million times, but it was so Stark, I'm sitting on a train with a bottle between my legs and this, you know, it's like, like the train is literally leaving the station. 
My brain is literally being hijacked. And you said that to me. You're like, your brain's being hijacked right now. You're not in your right mind. And it was something I never really, it almost gave me this, um, this understanding of how powerful it was. Like I wasn't just fucked up. No. I wasn't just this like weak person. My brain was literally being hijacked yes. at that moment. Yes. And I hadn't heard that that way before. You know, it was like this, this little nugget that I hadn't heard. And I got home. I walk, I, I drove home from the train station, which is like a half mile. And I couldn't go into my house yet. I was just like completely, it was, it was like, I'd almost gotten an accident. My body was like completely um, in shock. And I walked out to the ocean. I just stared at it and I took a picture. Um, I, I had the words like come before me. It was just, it, you know, courage, dear heart, like the C.S. Lewis quote. Um, and it was this, it, it was such a beautiful sunset. And I, I was so, um, it was that out of body again. It was that out of body, just watching myself in that moment when I was taking a picture, like I had dodged a bullet again, I dodged a bullet that, um, I hadn't really meant to dodge. It was like, I knew I had been helped a little bit in that moment. And, um, it was, it was like the, the other piece of this, which I think is the key to sort of every hero's journey, the, the process of going through it, or at least the initial part is you, there has to be something that you really, really, really don't want to accept that you really don't want. Like, and that is totally out of your control. Like there were, there were no options for me to drink anymore. You know, whether, whether it's getting sick whether it's a divorce happening, whether it's a, someone dying, whether it's coming to terms with the fact that you have this addiction, it, for me, it had to be something that I didn't want and that I there was nothing else to do but surrender to it. Like, yeah. truly, there was no other option, you know, yeah. un unless I wanted to die and I didn't want to die. It has to be something that you just so don't want because you realize you don't have control. Like, you... Yeah. it you have to give up your power. Um, that to me is like a key part of every, every journey, every piece that I'm describing has something of that in it. It's like this moment where you have to surrender and then it's followed by this sort of surreal out of body experience. It's almost like a release. It's like a release and a relief, um, a surprising relief. And I just, you know, I went home that night and it was, I never forgot that night because it had happened and I knew that it could happen. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I had never reached out for help like that. I had never, I knew that it could happen. So then it started to put it more in my court. It was like, Oh, you have the choice, honey. You have the choice to do this thing. You really do. Um, and you're, and you're helped and you're guided. Yeah. I'll never forget that. <laughs> I mean, my Most. side of it. Mm-hmm. I was on a train too. Oh, that's right. I thought you were on the bus. No, you were on a train. Yeah. Yeah. A million things could happen. Like you couldn't have been there. I would have given up for sure. You know, um, it's just, it's pretty, it's both magical and also, um, 
it's like it's just beautiful how it can happen. I mean, the funny thing is though, I I think I had fake reached out like texting someone, but I had not ne- before like hoping, you know, like, oh, please save me. But I had never said I want to drink. You know, it was just like a hey. <laughs> Hi, what's going on? <laughs> if they don't answer, I'm gonna drink. Of course they're not gonna answer. You're not fucking saying anything. Yeah. I, I said know. I'm gonna drink, you know? Yeah, I know. It's like first act of surrender, <laughs> powerlessness. Yeah. Blech. So good, though. So good. I will never forget yeah, that. Yeah, it's ride. terrifying. I mean, it's terrifying also watching it from the other side because you have no control over what this other person is going to do, right? And you, no. like, it's just, um, and you see how precarious it is, right? How precarious it is. Yeah. And you know what that prepared me for, though? Every other time that since then that someone has said to me, that has come to me in the other way. You know, I know, I know what to say, or I know, I know that I can't stop it, but I know what to say. I know exactly what to do. And that's the other part of this. It's like, here's a meditation. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) No, but what do you say? I don't, it's not so much what I say. I mean, it's just more, you know, meeting that person exactly where they are because you know it exactly what that place is like. It's like hell. It's hell. It's hell. It's hell. total hell. And that is, mm-hmm. if there is hell to find on earth, that is definitely hell. Yeah. What's your last one? Are we on four? No, we're on three. <laughs> oh, you're on three. Right. And you're on, you, you, I'm go, you just said your third and I'm saying my third. Now. Right. Okay. Right. Um, I want to say that, um, Fran, I want to talk about Fran a little bit. Um, who is this mm-hmm. woman that lived in my building, this old woman that was, um, there's definitely, um, I don't know what she had going on. Um, some sort of mental illness. And, um, she was like this tiny slight. She is this tiny slight, um, probably 70 year old, uh, Jewish woman, uh, toothless Jewish woman. Um, and she, I don't, I think she just lived off of government funds and she's kind of like always milling about and she's very eccentric and doesn't, um, she talks to herself and doesn't like other people is really like really sensitive to other people's energy. And, um, and we had this like dance going on for years where I, 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 First, I moved into the building that I lived in before she, um, before, while well, I was still drinking and descended mm-hmm. into addiction, um, and knew her during those times. And I was just like this thing that never stopped. I was just this very, um, I was like plowing through my life. And, um, she did not like coming around me. And, um, and I picked up on that. Do you think your energy scared her? Like, was that, Oh yeah, that's it. Like, I mean, we, that, that's what I'm getting to is she just would, um, I, I would be around her and she basically, you know, um, uh, after I got sober, when I was in Kundalini training, I still had this energy. I still have this energy about me. It's, it's, it's a very slow process to undo, but you know, bullish energy. Um, but it was, I was angry all the time. And, and, um, I put that out there and she, when we, the first time we talked, I mean, she would not come near me for the first while I was drinking and, uh, wouldn't talk to me. And then the first time we talked was when I was sober and in Kundalini training and she found me in the laundromat. And this has been a dance for years of her avoiding me and me. I'm one of those people that is like, um, 
I look for my people. I don't know how to explain other than to say I look for like in my neighborhoods, usually like the, you know, the ones that um, I don't know that I don't I pay attention. And yeah. so she's yeah, like she's one of those people that I just want to, you know, kind of loved from afar and had a thing for from afar. Um, and uh, she wouldn't let me she wouldn't come near me. And then one day she came up to me at a laundromat and she like um we started talking. She got near me and I was in it. I was stoned and I was in Kundalini training. I was a good, I was in a good mood and she like, um, wanted to started asking me questions. And then she told me just basically like she didn't like my energy very much and that she wouldn't come near me oftentimes cause she could feel it. And then we sat in the laundromat. She made me like, she was just this like slightly crazy old woman. Um, and she, we sat in the laundromat and she and I, and I say crazy with the, you know, most respect. Um, she sat, we sat and held hands. She asked me to hold hands. She asked me to put my hands out and then she laid her hands on top of mine and we closed our eyes and meditated together because she found out I was a meditation teacher. And then she like had me come into her apartment. Her apartment had no furniture in it. It hadn't been touched. She'd been there from, you know, the sixties hadn't been touched since the sixties. She wrote on her wall. She wrote my phone number on her wall. Um, and gave me her phone number and then gave me an old copy of Be Here Now. Um, and um, the Ram Dass book for people who are wondering. It's yeah. Like, and it's all, yeah. And it's she'd like, written um, all over it, didn't have a cover on it. And she was just like, I want you to have this. And I had gave it back to her because I felt like I was taking like her only possession. Um, mm-hmm. And so, Anyway, so I just like had this, we had this dance going forth where I would come out in the mornings and she would not be able, like if I saw her and she was in the lobby and I was, you know, I was always running late for work. And so she, when I would run late for work, she would run away from me. And like when I'd come home from work angry and worked up because my job made me angry, um, she would run across the street. She would literally like flee into the street to avoid me. Nope, not today. Nope. No, thank you is what she would say. And <laughs> Um, and then sometimes like this one time I walked into the building and she would, she did the circle around my energy and then she, and then I walked into the building and she came and she knocks on the glass and goes, I love you. Like, can't be around this. And, um, and then when I would be soft, she would come close and I would make, I would like just tell, I started telling people about her because I was like, I have this like, you know, energy barometer and it's an old Jewish woman. And so, like, I I gave her my number and, like, things started happening. Like, I had this really awful thing that happened with my mom and my sister, uh, Christmas 2013. I get on the train to go home after, like, having the conversation with my mom where I basically said, what's the difference between your cancer and my addiction? Um, and why, like, why, like, where is my fucking support? And, mm-hmm. um... And this awful, like awful, this is right where I stopped talking to my mom and my sister for a couple of months. And Fran calls me on the train that night and says, like, I just knew you needed me. Like, just calls me. I, I never had called me. And it was an unknown what? number. And I don't normally answer an unknown number. So I How talked to her. Because I did gave you... it to her. She wrote it on her wall when I went into oh, her she apartment. Wrote it on her wall. That's right. She so she randomly calls me right after this and says, like, just feeling you and talks to me. And I talked to her for like I I don't know, an hour on the train on Amtrak. And um 
And it just kind of continues like that. Like I, when I left for Italy, I, I've written a blog post about this, but like when I left for Italy, I was packing my bags. I was at my friend Sally's house and I had all these books and I was worried. It was like right after I left my job, I had all these books and I'm like telling Sally, I don't know which books to take with me. Again, I have that huge backpack and I don't want to carry it around, like all that stuff. And Fran literally calls me right then and there as I'm freaking out about what books to take to tell me I have on my calendar you're leaving for Italy and I just wanted to tell you like you're going like you're not going to do anything there you're going to just be there so don't worry about what you feel like you have to do you don't have to do anything but just be there so I'm like um, I'm laughing and I walk into Sally's room and I'm like it was Fran and she told me I don't have to take all my books and um and then like the and when I come back from Italy and I'm like coming from the Kundalini ashram, like I run into her in a neighborhood I'm living in, which is not our neighborhood. This is this old woman and she usually stays within, I don't know, like a five, like a very yeah. small radius within our within our building. And she's in front of my bus stop when I get off my bus stop. At, in Pacific Heights, which is miles away, right? Like not That's miles, crazy. but it's like, it's t- a totally different neighborhood. And she's just, I was like, what are you doing here? And she's like, like, I mean, you know, basically says something like she's a citizen of the world. And, and we have this, like, anyways, we have the, like, so we ha- keep having exchanges like this and where she just shows up and I just go with it. Like I, at this point, yeah. resigned to what it is ever that she's like bringing into my life. And, um, And so for me, like the, you know, you just kind of mentioned in the last thing that we're talking about how like oftentimes there's this thing you don't want to happen. And, and, um, this, this thing for me was I was, I'd given up my apartment for months to travel and my cat was old and blind and sick. And, um, I had left my cat in the care of my neighbor, Michael, who's a lovely man. Um, but I also knew that leaving my cat, like I, I rented my apartment out to make ends meet while I started hip sobriety and, um, and to, and because I needed to get out of the country. And so I left Winky with Michael and, um, and she just like, she, I knew she would die of a broken heart. And, um, at some point I went over to go see my cat and Michael called me, like said she was really, really sick. And I went in and she was like peeing on the carpet. She wasn't finding her litter box and, you know, and, um, so I kept taking her back to the vet and she was, I knew she was having strokes and long story short, I was just confronted with having to put my cat to sleep or not. And, um, I called like I just it was one of those moments the same thing where you call out and you ask for help like I don't know what to do here please God tell me what to do do I kill this thing or do I keep her alive and you know and my I call my mom and my mom is like I mean lo- I love you mom but she was no help no fucking help she's like I can't I can't tell you what to do I'm not gonna tell you to kill your cat or so, not kill your cat as I'm sitting on the floor of the vet's office all right like you can just picture it I'm sitting there and I'm holding my cat who's dying uh, in my arms and holding her and just sobbing and like just like what do I do with you please tell me what to do and Fran calls like and I have to say she's called me five times probably you know in my life and so she calls always at these moments and she calls and I start crying and I was like Fran I can't talk to you right now I'm my cat is dying and she says um okay and she was like I just wanted to tell you like that you can do this you know what you have to do and you can do this and I'm not kidding 
And so, and I knew what I had to do. I mean, I knew I had to kill them, that cat. And so, um, so anyway, it's just, it, yeah. she was like, she was in the long haul of it from the beginning, you know, and she, yeah. she called me when I left my building and she, she knew that I was, she knew that I was leaving. And I mean, it's just, uh, Anyway, and I don't really need to add any context to it. It's crazy. No. Um, but it's not. I know. It is crazy, but it's not like you said. It's like no. these people are there. I know. I know. And then the other part of this, too, is I went home. I was I was living at my friend Sally's and she was out of town. And it was a a night where I, my cat, like the thing, I mean, I had killed the cat by leaving her. I had, you know, I knew this would happen. I knew it would happen when I left her. It was like, the, it's the thing that still haunts me and will, will break my heart until the day I die. I still can't talk about it without like self-flagellation. And um, I go to Sally's and I'm sober, right? And I'm alone and I'm in the middle of yoga training and I'm homeless and I'm starting this thing and I have no fucking idea what I'm doing and I have nothing. And I text Justin and I was like, will you come over here? And he's like, I'm watching a baseball game. And I'm just like, it's like the lowest of the low, I think, that you can get. I don't know. Um, It felt like it. And it was just one of those nights too, like where... I took a bath and I put lavender oil on me and I ate trail mix, a lot of it. And I mostly the chocolate out of it. And just, I don't know. It was also like one of those nights too, because there's a part of this whole thing where there's the reflection that you know you're going through the things that you have to go through. And it's those like out of body moments where you're like a, you know, near 40 year old woman living on your friend's couch and you just put your fucking cat to sleep and the, you know, loser 40 year old dude that you're fucking won't come over and hold you. And all you have is a fucking handful of trail mix and some tea and a bath, which is more than most people have, but still, and you're just there and you're just there. And that's a lot of this is the reflection back of those moments where you just come crashing down, right? You're just there. You're just like moving through it and outside of it and inside of it. And it's like nothing else, right? And so that night was like, I mean, holy fuck. I don't know. Anyway, I don't know what I'm going with that, but why are you so quiet? Are you there? Oh, shit. Sorry. I had it on mute, so I wasn't breathing in you. No, I totally get it. It's um, <laughs> You don't need to add more to that. It's like exactly what we're talking about. Uh, I love Fran. I wonder what Fran's doing. I actually need to call her. Um, okay. You so do. what's, what's your last one? So my last one is the quick one. So I, uh, in 2015, I started to write, um, I started to write about this, about getting sober and what I was feeling and telling the truth about it. And, um, while I was still really struggling with it and not, you know, not really maintaining sobriety, but I wrote, one morning I started, you know, I got up early, I was working my job and, um, you know, taking care of my daughter and all that. So I, I had, I started to get up really early in the morning. I started to be able to do that, um, because I wasn't drinking and I had this morning where I woke up, it was April 6th, 2015. And I woke up really early at like four and I started writing and I started to write the, I remember the line exactly where I, um, where it, it clicked for me. Um, it, 
<laughs> all it was was that I said I, I was pissed. I was really fucking pissed. And I remember actually typing the words out and realizing as I was typing it that I was saving my life, like doing this thing with my fingers and this space in the morning when it's quiet, when I would have been drinking, that I wouldn't be able to do if I was still drinking, even though I pretended like I could or wanted to for my entire life writing. I was saving my life by doing it. And it was so clear to me. It was the piece was the girl in the big red, or no, yeah, the girl in the big red chair. Um, but it was one of the first pieces that I wrote and it came straight from that place, you know, straight from that place. I was more honest than I'd ever been. I talked about things that I hadn't talked about, like my mom and how many times I said, had said, fuck it. And how hard it really was for me to quit, how, how hard it was, um, it was the first time I guess I kind of wrote from a place of not being self-conscious about what I was writing anymore. And I knew that I had to keep doing it. I knew I had to keep doing it to save my life. Like I wasn't just doing this. I wasn't just having a journaling exercise anymore, you know? Yeah. I wasn't. Um, I was also reading I think shortly after I read The Great Work of Your Life and I came across the quote from um, Stephen Cope. It's not his quote. I can't remember. You probably know who says it. But if you don't bring forth what it, what is within you, it will kill you. Um, it's from the Saint, uh, the Gospel of St. Thomas. It's Jesus. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, <laughs> and I, I knew it, though. It was like I felt that at that time, I knew that if I didn't, you know, it was this, again, a really stark moment of if I didn't, if I was still drinking, if I was drinking, I would never write. And writing was going to be the thing that would save me from the drinking. Yeah. Yeah. It was, um, it was a very important moment for me. And I kind of, that was, I think, the first piece that got published later on. You know, it kind of it was definitely the first piece that people really responded to, which added to it because it was, you know, it's always edifying to like. To resonate. Ha- to have it resonate. Yeah. But, but it was more what, you know, the act of doing it was really what what meant the, the most. It was just like it, more, it was added that I that I got some resonance from it. Yeah. I know what it was about that piece. I said, I wrote, I wrote down the word, the words that first occurred to me when I had to get sober and it was who will, who will ever love me. Um, it was the first time I really ever put that out there. So that's my last one. I love it. This is hard. <clears throat> As we're doing this, don't you feel like you have all this stuff come up that you just want to talk about and just <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I uh for my last one, I mean, I wanted to talk about the I really did. I wanted to talk about um 
when I quit my job and what that was like, because that was spectacular. Um, all this stuff just kind of swirled and happened. And, um, you know, and there's also this like pull to talk about, um, like after that, when I went to the Kundalini retreat and I was taking cold showers at three in the morning and then freezing cold weather and going to Gudwara and like saying, like just these like moments, it like, again, like the, the reason I went in to talk about this so much was just this, like, there's this, there's this smacking of reality. And as you you go through, like you go through these things, you go through these things a lot of times just on autopilot. And then there's these smacks totally. of reality where it's so, it's like a cold shower. Um, so I think I want to end with just talking about the summer. You know, I worked with, I worked on, on, I worked on, on growing, growing, my school and I spent my whole summer wrapped up in that and announced it. And, um, you know, I was certain I was securing a large investment. I was going to move to New York. I mean, there's still people that think I live in New York. Um, and (laughs) (laughs) it's funny. I know. Um, there is this, um, how do I put this? I mean, it's just like, I've talked about it before. Like I, you know, it was like two nights before I was going to leave Rome and I went to go have this call with, um, with Steve. And when we got on the phone, he was like, it's not going to happen. And, um, like none of it was going to happen. There wasn't even like a, there was no glimmer of hope in it. Um, and this was the volition of everything. I'd been talking about this for months and the volition of everything I was doing was going into this thing. And I'd, like I had, I'd bought a, um, I had bought a, a ticket back to California three weeks early. I still had my apartment in Italy. I had no money left. Really. I'd left, I had like a three week burn left. Um, my Megan who works for me had kind of moved on and was doing something else. I had, um, you know, I mean, it was just like, it was like the, um, it wasn't even like being gut punched. It was free fall. And, and you remember this, like I walk and I'm like texting Mm -hmm. you and I'm trying to be funny about it. And, and then, and, and you're like being funny about it with me. And then I'm telling you I'm suicidal. (laughs) Like (laughs) I want to throw myself in front of a bus and you laugh about it. And I'm like, I'm being serious here. No, I'm actually serious. No, (laughs) like what, do I do? And then you are texting me and I just stop responding because I hate you. Um, and I, one of my favorite moments, by the way, (laughs) there's nothing better than when someone tells you they're going to kill themselves and then they don't respond. And and I go and I walk down behind, um, the Campidilio. I like walk down to the Roman forum, right? And uh, it's like this hot summer night and I look banging. I really do look good that night. My makeup was on point. I was wearing a great outfit. And I'm like, I just lost everything, uh, really. And um, and I'm leaving here early and I don't know if I want to stay or if I want to go. Um, and I have no money and um, the world is crashing around me and Laura's a fucking cunt. And so I like go and I sit there's this place where nobody goes at night. It's just like right behind the Roman. It's like right behind the Capitol. 
and it's this like small little walkway and it's where I go. It's like one, it's like one of my 10 places where I go and just hide in Rome. And this is why I like Rome because there's places to hide, even though people think it's like overrun there, they're actually a space. And yeah, there's these two, like I go and I sit on the edge and I'm looking over the edge and I'm looking at like, Oh God, just like this, you know, thousands years old place. And there's seagulls and these two tourists or eight, like come up. I don't even notice them. I have like my music band, like blasting and my phone is on airplane and these guys are like angling around me and like it's just um, it's these it's like this moment of pure emptiness. I'm emptied out because the thing I'd filled up on had just disappeared and I'm empty and there's nothing to do about it. Right. There is no thing to do um, to escape it. You're just there with it. Um. I don't know. And I mean, I just like, for me, it's like, I won't forget that moment for as long as I live. And and then what did I do? I, I got, I turned my phone back on and told you I was alive. Um, and then I walked yes, Thank you. and then I walked yeah. and that, cause that was all I could do is I walked and, and I like, and not only that I walked and I, I noticed the beauty around me and also the beauty of loss, right? The beauty of these yes. moments, like, Things are okay. I'm, oh, I have my apartment. I'm in LA. I, you know, I just ordered bookshelves. Um, well, I, you just realize you're still here. You I'm realize your body, you're, it's like here. almost like your consciousness gets limited to this tiny little point all of a sudden. Oh. And then, and, and it's not that. And so it's this like those moments of pure loss where everything goes away, where everything, where the thing that you didn't want to have happen happens is Mm -hmm. like so often in the moment, it's just this awful place. But it's also like when I go back, if there's moments in my life I want to relive, it's that moment. If I could go back and pick like one of 10 nights in my life, I would relive. I would relive that (laughs) moment. I would relive the night that I like. Oh, it is because it's like it's the place where it's the place of where I'm I actually expand the most. Um I can't see like there's that fear of like what's going to happen after this? What does this mean? What do I do? How do I step forward? And the weeks after I do not want to live again, believe me. Um but in that moment where the bottom drops out, um I don't know yeah. why. Anyway, so that is it's just I think it's I think there's a it's like um it's what I was talking about with the train. It's like the thing you don't want to happen. You realize you just, you're at the end of this yeah. control or, or something. <laughs> like your, you your control of a situation has run out. Nothing. And you have no choice but surrender to it. You have, <laughs> it doesn't happen when you still have 1% of, you know, <laughs> of trying to control. It's truly when it's gone. Yeah. And you just know it's gone. It's gone. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it was, yeah. So it's like, um, I don't like, I don't mind. I really don't mind, um, the bottomy places. Um, and it's funny because I think most of the stuff I've talked about have been really bottomy things. Um, they always are. Yeah. Yeah. And everything you've talked about. We're on a hero's journey when we're like (laughs) king of the world. I ran the marathon and PR. Yeah, I knew I was a fucking hero. No. Those peak experiences never work out like that for me. No, they don't. They don't. Um they really don't. Um Mm -mm. that's funny. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 
We never talked about the best thing that ever happened to us, um, except we talked oh, no, about we've never the- had an episode like that. <laughs> that shit's boring. It is boring. <laughs> Let's talk about sunshine. Like that. Uh, so I think that we it. should have an episode, though. I'm thinking where we talk, where we just talk about like the the best shit that we know about, like the most fun things that we know about, like maybe even just cats and stuff. Like your cat oh, that you shared that one day God. was one of the best things I've ever seen. <laughs> well, no, I think we can talk about, well, like there's, I think what we can talk about is the, the highlights of our lives in the last five years, yeah. like the best things yeah. that have happened to us. The um, yeah, for sure. Cause I think that's also great, but I don't see these moments that we've just talked about as be, not being the sweetest moments of my life, oh, like, no, me which neither. is so funny. Totally. Um, so I'm like, I knew I was going to get divorced. I wanted to die. It was so great. It was awesome. (laughs) I woke up, you know, in a pool of vomit and was, you know, um, okay. Um, no, this is good. Okay. I...